Welcome to Music History Monday for August 9th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Shostakovich's Death. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on August 9th, 1975, 46 years ago today, of the composer Dmitry Shostakovich at the age of 68 in Moscow. He was born on September 25th, 1906 in St. Petersburg. Does stress kill? If stress kills, Dmitry Shostakovich should never have lived past the age of 30. In his early teens as a student at the St. Petersburg Conservatory, or what was then called the Petrograd Conservatory, he and his classmates suffered severe malnutrition due to the Russian Civil War, which ran from 1917 to 1922. But he survived. In 1936, some eight months before his 30th birthday, he was officially purged on the orders of Joseph Stalin himself during the Great Terror. Few people expected Chostakovich to survive, least of all himself. Later admitting to having been suicidal, he lay awake at night, too terrified to sleep, waiting for the van, the feared Black Maria, to take him away. But he survived. In 1941, he survived the early stages of the Siege of Leningrad, and in 1948, he was once again purged for writing music considered to be too modern and too personally self-expressive, music that did not subscribe to the Soviet ideologic dicta. Again, he considered suicide. Again, he survived. In 1960, he was forced to join the Communist Party, something he had sworn he would never, ever do. But consumed with fear for himself and his children, join he did. Apoplectic with self-loathing, he again considered suicide going so far, according to his friend Lev Lebedinsky, as to purchase a large supply of sleeping pills to do the job. But Shostakovich didn't do it, and again he survived. So stress didn't kill Dmitry Shostakovich, but it likely aged him prematurely Photos of Shostakovich in his mid-60s would seem to depict a man at least 10 years older, and it almost certainly contributed to the disintegration of his health, which began a full 20 years before his death. Issues of Health Shostakovich's health, which had never been good, the deprivations of his teenage years exacerbated his already frail constitution began to give way in the mid-1950s, during his late 40s. Worrisome symptoms began in 1954. Shostakovich found he could no longer exercise and began inexplicably to fall. Over the following years, he managed to fracture both his legs. He began experiencing pins and needles in his right hand, 
and by 1958, he was no longer able to lift heavy objects, brush his teeth, or even hang up his coat with his right hand. Various diagnoses were put forward. One neurologist suggested he had motor neuron disease, also known as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease. Other diagnoses considered were motor neuropathy, cervical degenerative disc disease, which was difficult to diagnose in those days before CAT scans and MRIs, and syringomelia. It's a disorder in which a cyst forms within the spinal cord, over time compressing and damaging the nerves that carry information to and from the brain. Finally, in 1965, Shostakovich was diagnosed as having a form of poliomyelitis that affected nerve endings and bones, which made it increasingly difficult for him to play the piano. On May 28, 1966, four months before his 60th birthday, Shostakovich made his last public appearance as a pianist. You know, given the problems he'd been having with his right hand in particular, it's amazing Shostakovich was still able to play the piano at all. Before the concert, he was a nervous wreck. According to his dear friend, the soprano Galina Vishnevskaya, quote, Dmitry Dmitrievich was not only nervous, he was afraid, terrified, that his hands would fail him, unquote. Shostakovich's 11th string quartet was premiered on that same concert. It was greeted with such acclaim that it was encored on the spot. But the concert hall was stifling hot, and for Shostakovich, the strain proved too much. Later that evening, again May 28, 1966, he had a heart attack. It was not severe, but it was nevertheless the beginning of the end. And despite the fact that he still had another nine years to live, his life was increasingly that of an invalid. By the last decade of his life, Shostakovich was a veritable warehouse of physical tics, infirmities, and spiritual bitterness. Some of this is attributable to his personality and physique. He was, and always had been, hypersensitive and physically frail. But without a doubt, the extraordinary stresses of his extraordinary life exacerbated everything and added some new ticks of their own. The Polish composer, Krzysztof Meyer, born 1943, was a very close friend of Shostakovich's during the 1960s and 70s. In his biography of Shostakovich, Meyer described the Dmitry Dmitrievich he knew in the late 1960s and early 1970s. Quote, he always appeared extremely nervous. His face was a bag of ticks and grimaces. He would either twitch his lower lip or unexpectedly blink or keep correcting his glasses and stroke his hair, which as a result was in a state of permanent chaos. While talking, he would insert a lot of asides, so to say, a kind of, you understand, which often had no connection at all with the sentence he was uttering at that given moment. I have a homemade tape of a rehearsal of a quartet held at his home. After the rehearsal, Shostakovich thanked the performers, saying, Thank you all, you know, for this kind of concert, you understand. 
when he sat at his desk or at a table, he would always nervously drum with his fingers or, pressing his left palm to his cheek, would tap various rhythms with his fourth and fifth fingers. When we talked about music, Shostakovich would often interrupt the conversation, jump up from his chair, and leave the room. I had the impression of someone so highly stimulated that he lived in a state of constant excitement. I never knew the cause of these interruptions. They might happen several times within an hour, but did not last longer than a minute." Unquote. In September of 1971, almost immediately after having completed his Symphony No. 15, Shostakovich suffered a second heart attack. He was hospitalized for two months. When he was released, he was almost a complete invalid. He was in constant pain, had only limited use of his right hand, and could hardly walk. Yeah, referring to his limbs, Shostakovich joked that, quote, I'm 75% of the way there. My legs don't work and my right hand is damaged. All I need is to hurt my left hand and 100% of my extremities will be out of order." Unquote. One year later, in late 1972, Shostakovich was diagnosed as having lung cancer. Merd. What a mess. But as a composer, Dmitry Shostakovich was no mess. Despite his constant fears that his creative powers were waning, Shostakovich continued to compose remarkable music, music that became increasingly a vehicle for self-discovery and private confession, music that, according to composer Alfred Schnitke, displays the quality of philosophical lyricism. His rotten health and growing fear of death notwithstanding, Shostakovich's last years saw, among other events, the triumphant premiere of his 15th Symphony, a revival of his opera The Nose of 1928, the composition of his song cycles, opuses 145 and 146, the composition of his last two string quartets, numbers 14 and 15, and the composition of his sonata for viola and piano, opus 147, which he completed just weeks before his death. Tomorrow's Dr. Bob Prescribes post will focus on Shostakovich's final work, his masterful sonata for viola. Almost despite his health, Shostakovich continued to write masterworks. We can only marvel at his incredible creative spark and at the richness and power of his inner life. The End On August 4th, 1975, Shostakovich had trouble breathing and was taken to the hospital for tests. The tests confirmed the worst. His lung cancer had metastasized to his liver, and the condition of his heart and lungs was headed southward. Writes Shostakovich biographer Laurel Fay, quote, On the morning of Saturday, August 9, 1975, Shostakovich was feeling better. After breakfast, his wife Irina read him a Chekhov story, Gusev, 
and later he chatted with another musician being treated at the hospital, the pianist Yakov Flyer. Late that afternoon, he began to suffocate, and at 6.30 p.m., he died. The Soviet media, with habitual secretiveness, vouchsafed only that the composer had died after a protracted grave illness. The cause of death was reported by foreign journalists as heart failure. His widow confirmed that the proximate cause was lung cancer." Unquote. The funeral. Shostakovich's funeral, which was held on August 14, 1975, was turned into a propaganda extravaganza by the Soviet authorities. Had Shostakovich the opportunity to witness his own funeral, he would have closed his eyes, put his left hand over his face, dropped his chin, and shaken his head. He was given a full state funeral. His body lay in state at the Grand Hall of the Moscow Conservatory. Members of the government wore black armbands. The conservatory was cordoned off, and military security kept out the riffraff, meaning students and musicians. The speeches by party hacks went on for hours, first at the conservatory and then at the gravesite. Shostakovich's obituary was signed by 85 Soviet movers and shakers, beginning with that of Premier Leonid Brezhnev and the Politburo. He was called the great composer of our time, a loyal son of the Communist Party, and a hero of the Soviet people. If Shostakovich were here with us right now, he'd tell us that he was no hero. He'd remind us that in the Soviet Union, heroes died young. Conclusions. The violist Theodor Druzhenin, for whom Shostakovich composed his viola sonata, was in the position to observe Shostakovich's life and career up close and personal. He wrote, Quote, While still a schoolboy, I was present at the famous meeting at the Grand Hall of the Conservatory in 1948, the most shameful moment in our cultural history. The civic punishment of such artists as Shostakovich and Prokofiev, with ignorant non-entities cast as their executioners, had been prophesied in Shostakovich's music. It is our good fortune that thanks to the abstract nature of music, they were unable to put the composer before a firing squad. People who lived in Shostakovich's epoch have no need to dig in the archives or to marvel at the evidence of repressions and executions and murders. It's all there, in his music. Following the best traditions of Russian art, the murky and ugly side of terror, repression, and suffering lead us finally to the tragic apotheosis of the Fifth Symphony and to the mysterious transformation into eternal light and conciliation in the Viola Sonata. When, after Stalin's death, the lid was slightly lifted off our hellish cauldron, Dmitri Dmitrievich went through an ordeal that was even more terrible for an artist. Temptation by official fame and flattery and identification with the prevailing ideology which was alien to him. 
They made him join the party. And it seemed to me that Shostakovich's already battered and morbid psyche would buckle and shatter under the collective onslaught. But fortunately, he met and married a charming and intelligent woman, Irina Supinskaya, who played a purifying and resurrective role for him throughout the rest of his life." Unquote. Shostakovich survived because he learned to play the game. In 1973, already ill with cancer and to the everlasting disgust of the dissident community, he signed a denunciation of the dissident physicist Andrei Sakharov. For younger dissidents, like the Nobel Prize-winning poet Joseph Brodsky, who was born in 1940 after the worst of the terror, Shostakovich was actually part of the problem. Later in his life, after emigrating to the United States, Brodsky claimed that Shostakovich's life of compromise destroyed rather than preserved him. Quote, Compromise transforms the individual into ruins. The roof is gone, but the chimney, for example, might still be standing." Unquote. We must reject such nonsense, as did the people who actually knew Shostakovich. The previously quoted soprano Galina Vishnevskaya, who was the wife of the cellist Mstislav Rostropovich, remembered, quote, he often told us when we erupted over yet another injustice, don't waste your efforts, work, play. You're living here in this country and you must see everything as it really is. Don't create illusions. There's no other life. There can't be any. Just be thankful that you're still allowed to breathe. He felt that we were all participants in the farce." Unquote. Vishnevskaya continues, quote, Once he had made his decision, Shostakovich unabashedly followed the rules of the game. He made statements in the press and at meetings. He signed letters of protest that, as he himself said, he never read. He didn't worry about what people would say of him because he knew the time would come when the verbiage would fade away and only his music would remain and his music would speak more vividly than any words. His only real life was his art, and into it he admitted no one. It was his temple. When he entered it, he threw off his mask and was what he was." Unquote. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.